Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and you can think of me as your friendly guide to the English language. We talk about writing, history, rules, and other cool stuff. Today, we'll talk about spoons, and then we'll talk about why nouns are more complicated than you might think. A few months ago, I started to notice people talking about spoons in a weird way. First, my amazing fiction writing and podcasting friend Mer Lafferty tweeted, I have no spoons for making decisions today. And then, just a few days later, a linguist friend named Lauren Ackerman tweeted, trying to remind myself that just because I have some spoons doesn't mean I have enough spoons. And I'm like, what is up with all these spoon references? And maybe you've heard something like this and wondered too. So I got a general sense of what it means from the context. Spoons are a metaphor for energy, but why spoons? Well, you won't find it in any major dictionary, and I have to confess that for reasons I can't remember now, I thought it had something to do with Game of Thrones. But, of course, it does not. It turns out that this really useful concept, which is called spoon theory, also isn't that new. It's actually been around since 2003, but I do think it's moving more into the mainstream. Here's the deal. A woman with lupus named Christine Miserandino came up with the metaphor on the fly when she was a college student, and her good friend and roommate asked her what it felt like to have lupus. Not what the symptoms were, but what it felt like to live with lupus. The two women were in a dining hall, and after casting around for a few seconds, Christine grabbed a bunch of spoons and handed them to her friend. Then she said something like, imagine that every time you do something, it costs you a spoon. Getting out of bed, one spoon gone. She took a spoon away from her friend. Showering, another spoon gone, and so on. She went on to explain that people with disabilities or who are sick start with fewer spoons than other people. And some things that wouldn't cost a healthy person any spoons at all, like maybe getting dressed, can cost someone with lupus a spoon or two. And the friend started to realize that Christine had to manage her metaphorical spoons because she only got so many each day. When you have a chronic illness or disability, you aren't going to be able to do every single thing you want or need to do every day before you run out of spoons. Christine wrote about the story on her blog, ButYouDon'tLookSick.com, and Spoon Theory was born. People have found this concept so useful that it's become widespread, 
And people even use the hashtag Spoonie in posts that talk about illness or managing energy. And sometimes people refer to the Spoonie community. And people are coming up with more and more creative ways to use the concept, too. For example, you can talk about having a low spoon day. And I even saw someone use it as a verb and say they were spooned out right now. So if you've been curious about references to spoons like I was, that's the scoop. I hope you found the answer as fascinating as I did. A student named Kaylee sent me this message. My writing teacher loves your book and uses it a lot. I'd like for you to explain concrete, compound, abstract, and collective nouns. Well, thanks, Kaylee. I remember learning that a noun is a person, place, or thing, but unfortunately, it's more complicated than that. People, places, and things are all concrete nouns. They're things you can see or touch, such as kittens and puppies, trees and flowers, sticks and stones, and cities and countries. People often find abstract nouns more confusing. They're things such as concepts, feelings, ideas, states of mind, and attributes. For example, honor, loyalty, courage, truth, and freedom are all abstract nouns. If you have an abstract word like that and you want to test whether it's really a noun, one way to do it is to see if you can replace the word with one that is more recognizable to you as a noun, a concrete noun. For example, let's say you have this sentence, I'm out of gumption today. Well, if you want to figure out whether gumption is a noun, see if you can replace it with a concrete noun. I'm out of milk today. You can. You can replace gumption with the concrete noun milk, so it's a good bet that gumption is an abstract noun. Try it with this sentence. Don't you have any decency? Is decency a noun in that sentence? Sure, because you can replace it with other nouns. Don't you have any rocks? Don't you have any kittens? Don't you have any trees? Words sometimes serve multiple purposes, too, so a word such as hate can be both an abstract noun and a verb. In this sentence, it's a verb. I hate fishing. In this sentence, it's an abstract noun. Don't bring your hate in here. No need to get confused, though. You can still use the concrete noun test to see when it's a noun. When you can replace hate with a concrete noun, then you know it's probably playing a role as an abstract noun. Don't bring your dog in here. Don't bring your fish in here. Don't bring your cookies in here. Well, on second thought, bring in the cookies. Cookies are fine. Since you can replace hate with the nouns dog, fish, and cookies, hate is a noun in the sentence, don't bring your hate in here. Collective nouns are a type of concrete noun, and this may be why people find all these different categories hard to understand. There's overlap between them. Collective nouns are words that describe a group of things, usually people. Band, board, class, committee, and team, those are all collective nouns. In American English, we tend to treat collective nouns as singular. So although there are multiple people in a band or on a team, we treat them as one thing. The band is playing tonight. The board is meeting tomorrow. The class is doing a project on kittens. The committee is planning an event. The team is selling custom-made maracas to raise money. A particularly fun type of collective noun is what are called nouns of assembly or terms of venery. 
These are phrases that typically describe a group of animals, such as a pride of lions or a murder of crows. But they can sometimes also describe people who have a certain job, and sometimes people also make up funny or clever new ones, such as a blister of shoes, a forest of books, or an agony of dentists. I just made those up, but the real terms go all the way back to the 1400s when they appeared in books about hawking, hunting, and heraldry, the most famous of which was called the Book of St. Albans. Compound nouns are usually nouns that are made up of two other words, and they can be formed three different ways. Open compounds, which are two separate words, such as coffee and house. Closed compounds, which is two words that are now written as one word, such as football and hyphenated compounds, two words that are joined by a hyphen, such as collarbone. The frustrating thing about compound nouns is that they change over time. Often they'll start as open or hyphenated compounds and then merge into a single word, and different dictionaries will show them written in different ways. For example, treehugger, Collins Dictionary, and the Oxford English Dictionary have it hyphenated. But Merriam-Webster's online dictionary has it as an open compound. It's common to find these differences between compound words in dictionaries, so the best thing you can do is pick one dictionary and use it as your guide. Thanks again for the question, Kaylee, and thanks to your teacher for using my book. Finally this week, Joyce from Connecticut called in with a familect story of her granddaughter using the same word for hand sanitizer that another listener called in about last year, hansitizer. So I guess that one is common or spreading. Thanks for the call, Joyce. And it reminded me of another story I got about a name for hand sanitizer from John. Hi, Mignon. This is John McKay from uh, lovely New England. Up, uh, calling from Draycott, Massachusetts. I'm calling because of a familex story I have. Um, it's something that just me, my wife, and my three boys use, and the word is dubbies. It means the uh, hand sanitizer. Uh, started with my first boy, you know, over nine years ago, where we would tell him to uh, don't forget to rub a dub when you're using the hand sanitizer. So that soon morphed into dubbies. So now we go around all the time and you know, some people think it's funny that uh, we say, hey, time to do the dubbies, time to use some dubbies. And uh, it's just a cute little phrase that we use and uh, it's just ingrained and that's what we use. Thank you for uh, the show, the books. I really enjoy the podcast. Thanks. Thanks, John. If you want to call with the story of your familect, a word your family and only your family uses, you can leave a voicemail at 833214-GIRL. Call from a nice, quiet place, and I might play it on the show. I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. Thanks to my audio engineer, Nathan Sams, and my editor, Adam Cecil. Our assistant manager is Emily Miller, and our marketing and publicity assistant is Davina Tomlin, who once attended a clown ballroom dance event and had fun but wouldn't go again. And our ad operations specialist is Morgan Christensen. That's all. Thanks for listening. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. 
Medela, you put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor, because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. Medela, the mark of the fight. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.